Bublazar claims to have examined an alien craft at S4, a subsidiary facility he says existed near the Nellis Air Force Base installation, better known as Area 51. According to Lazar, this craft ran on an antimatter reactor powered by element 115, which at the time had not yet been synthesised. Join myself and Neil as we discuss the claims made by Bob Lazar that he was recruited to reverse engineer flying saucer technology. Aliens Explored is a weekly podcast exploring famous and obscure cases of UFO sightings, alien abductions and other strange events from both a believing and a sceptical perspective whilst keeping an open mind. I'm Stu Jackson, a professional actor and amateur ufologist with a particular interest in the crop circle phenomenon. I'll be debating that otherworldly visitations are real. The truth is out there. And I'm Neil Kelly. I'm a professional actor as well and used to work for the military as an intelligence analyst. I'll be arguing from a more doubtful point of view. I mean, it's all a bit far-fetched, isn't it? Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Aliens Explored. Uh, With me, Stu Jackson. And with me, Neil Kelly. And this week we are talking about a very controversial figure in mythology terms, uh, Bob Lazar. Now, there's so much to unpack about him. What, what, what was your take looking at the Bob Lazar case, Neil? Well, what I know about Bob Lazar is that he, um, Wikipedia describes him as, a, as an American conspiracy theorist who claims to have been hired in the late 1980s to reverse engineer purported ex- extraterrestrial technology at a secret site called S4 in, uh, in Area 51. Um, we know about Bob Lazar that he is a... Um, he's, he's a bit of a fake as, as regards his academic record. Um, he claims degrees from universities. <laughs> Apparently have no knowledge of him and um, suppose a supposed former workplaces that, that have disavowed him. Um, he has criminal convictions. Um, he was arrested for aiding and abetting um, a prostitution ring, which was reduced to a charge of felony pandering. And he and his wife were also done for um, violating the Federal Hazardous Substances Act for shipping restricted chemicals across state lines. So, um, so yes, why are we talking about Bob Lazar? Well, let's let's unpack sort of each of those. Um, not necessarily in turn, because the first thing you mentioned was his his credentials, his his claim that he's got these degrees from MIT and Caltech in electronics and physics. Yes. Um, and yes, it's very interesting. They allegedly have no record of him. I agree. Mm. That one is is an interesting one. Um, however, there is testimony from from people who knew Bob at the time who've said, "Yeah, he, of course, yeah, of course, he was going to Caltech. Yes, of course, he was going to MIT. Um, I used to drop him off and pick him up on occasion." Did they really? So got, yeah. You, so you've got actual testimony of that. Beyond that, there is absolutely no evidence. I agree. Mm. However, you also mentioned his employer, um, and I'm assuming you're referring there um, to Los Alamos. Yes, yes. Who said they had? Um, he said they had no knowledge. They said they had no knowledge of him. I said um, his supposed employment at Nellis Air Force Base, uh, Roswell. Um, or the Nellis Air Force Base subsidiary has also been discredited, um, as well as by uh, by by the United States Air Force itself. 
Okay, well, we'll come back on to um, Nellis uh, hmm. and the whole S4 Area 51, but but looking at Los Alamos, that, now that I find fascinating because, yes, they say we've got no record of the guy, we've no idea who he is, um, and they were very, very vehement about that hmm. at the time uh, when all this happened. In we're, we're talking very late 80s, early 90s, uh, when they were questioned about it. However, a newspaper article from 1982 surfaced talking about Los Alamos and this jet car that they had created, and it cites Bob Lazar as one of the physicists who helped make it. Um, yes, that, it was in the uh, Alamogordo Daily News, um, featured Lazar's jet-powered car, which reportedly achieved speeds of 200 miles an hour. And that, that article yes. described him as a physicist at the Los Alamos Mison Physics Facility. However, yes. the Los Alamos National Laboratory has disavowed him. Yeah, so which is, <laughs> which is true. Um, well, Lazar says that his records have been erased, um, yeah. but some sceptics such as Donald R. Prothero, Stanton T. Friedman and Timothy D. Callahan, all got their American middle initials, um, <laughs> say that this um, is implausible. Um, oh, well, if they say it's implausible, then, you know, yeah, well, it must be. <laughs> Rothero said that he was employed, not by the government, but rather as a technician working for a private company that contracted work at Los Alamos. Well, that, I mean, that kind of thing, um, subcontracting to private companies has been going on for, for decades. That's, that's, it is quite probable. Um, he might have, if, if he's being truthful, yes, he might have just said, well, yes, I'm working for... Um, the Los, Los Alamos National Laboratory, which is true, but actually, strictly speaking, if you want to be accurate, he's working for a company that is subcontracted to the Los Alamos. Okay. And, so that and bit you know could I, be... I can absolutely accept that, but they would also have a record of all the subcontractors that have worked for them. Um. Well, the... Los Alamos National Laboratory wouldn't have done. They'd have had a they'd have had a record of the firms that they've sub subcontracted to, but not the employees of those firms. You'd have to go to those individual firms to um, to get the names of the employees, and even they might have been subcontractors who are not in, not employed directly by them. Many, many rather... moons ago, I used to work in the automotive industry and I was a, a manager for them. And mm. uh, we used to use subcontractors all the time and, and subcontracting companies and we'd use subcontracting engineering companies who mm. would then sub-subcontract. And so you, you'd get this sort of multi-tiered yeah. contracting thing going on. But as training manager, I knew the name of every single subcontractor who walked through that door. And I had a record because I had to give them an induction. I had to hmm. show them around the site. I had to show them where the, where the loos were, you know, amongst obviously yeah. more serious things like all the health and safety. But we had to have records that we had run them through hmm. the health and safety. If nothing else, that we'd shown them where the fire exits are. Yeah, uh, presuming we, that they we had to have that record. Yeah, presuming that they worked on your site. Um, if they were working somewhere else for that company doing work that would be that was related to your area but they don't they don't ever have cause to come to your building then you wouldn't know their name okay um but in fact we had satellite sites um up in derby um mm. but they might not even have gone to your they, they might not even have worked on one of your satellite sites they could have been working on a project on one of their one of their you know, direct employers sites um produ producing something which then is provided to you Um, okay. I'll give you. I'll give you an example. I worked. Um, I worked in the NHS on the national project for IT. And this was a real bonanza for the for the for the big boys. I mean, um, BT were involved, um, AT and T were involved, um, all sorts of all sorts of companies. This national project for IT. It was the most expensive IT project in um, in the history of this country. I think in the history of the world at the time. Um, well, I've no idea who AT&T employed or 
or IBM or BT or all these other all these other companies. And and these people no, would never have come to our site. We just accepted their the, the the results of their labor. I just find it hard to believe that the NHS wouldn't have a record. You might not personally, but but the NHS as a, an organization would have a record of who was working on the project surely. No. No, because it, it's kind of, or any medical supplies company, say um, Pfizer or, or GlaxoKline Beecham, they wouldn't have a list of all their employees in the NHS. Yeah, they, okay. they would know, yes, I... we subcontracted this company, and if you approach that company within the bounds of confidentiality or what they wanted to release, they could tell you who'd worked on something, but... Um, the NHS wouldn't necessarily know, just as, um, I mean, I know there are security issues, more security issues with this, but even so, um, with subcontracting and subcontracting and subcontracting, it's that the, the end user can't say, for, can't say at all that they know every single person who worked on it. They know every person who came onto their site. They know every company, but they, they, and they, they might even know the subcontractors to those companies, but they wouldn't know the actual, the actual people. So what I'm saying okay. is, uh, Bob Lazar's, re, it, it's, it's, a credible, it's credible that he could have been working for a subcontractor. All right, and I can, do you know what, I can accept all that. But let's tie that in for a moment into his qualifications. Mm. Even if he was working as a sub-subcontractor, working on a jet car project as a physicist or a technician, he'd have to have some pretty impressive qualifications to do that. Um, you would think, wouldn't you? Um, I mean, let's say Lazar claims to have earned a master's degree in physics from the Massachusetts yeah. in, from MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology and a master's degree in electronic technology from the California Institute of Technology, Caltech. So those are high flying degrees. Why would yes. those institutions um, deny that someone had earned a master's degree with them? Why would they say we've never heard of them? If, yeah. Okay, as a motive, um, under government pressure. I mean, you've got really? to believe that these organisations rely on government funding. Um, they and if do. They were told very specifically by you know Men in Black or whatever. I I don't see why they would. Even even if someone goes on with uses this this um this education to go and work on on the most top secret government project. Yeah, the, the the government might deny all knowledge of this guy. They might um, swear him to secrecy and all that. But they, I don't think they'd go back down the line and go back to his schools and say, "You never heard of this guy, right? He doesn't exist." Well, yeah, it'd be a great way to discredit him. Well, now there's there's another element to this, and you mentioned about his criminal conviction, and and particularly the one uh, related to prostitution. Yeah. Now, when all that came out and he stood there in court mm. and he lists off these qualifications, again, MIT, Caltech, um, um, as, you know, as part of his, his life history. Now, of course, the courts have a legal duty to check these things out. There's no record of it. And the judge is there telling him, we can't find a record of it. Either you tell us the truth or you are going to jail. Now... That is the time to come clean. Bear in mind his life's already been ruined by all this UFO nonsense at this point in his life. Has it been ruined? That is the time to come clean. Oh, God, yes. I mean, he's, he's living now a quite happy, low-profile life, or as low-profile hmm. as, as he can. Um doing what you know something he loves so yeah his life is now happy but at the time yeah nobody would touch him with a 10-foot pole he couldn't get work anywhere well i mean just looking at the timeline of this in may 1989 this is when he appeared in an interview with an investigative reporter uh george uh, george knapp 
Oh, was it George Knapp? Yeah. Do they pronounce it Knapp? Yeah, that Knapp. It's it's George Knapp on, yeah. on on a Las Vegas TV station, KLA. Yeah. He used the pseudonym Dennis, and his yep. face was hidden, and that's where yep. he discussed his um, purported employment at S Four, the um, subsidiary facility he claims exists, which is near um, near Area Fifty One. Yeah. It was only the following year that he was arrested for aiding and abetting a prostitution ring. So, yeah. Um, so, I mean, was he known as a as a, a, a ufologist, a ufologist so, by this time? Yes. You've skipped some bits in the timeline there. So, yes, he is there. He's, his face is hidden. He uses a pseudonym, but they don't change his voice. So he is identifiable to those who, who know him and those who work with him. Right, Following but he's not... That, he, he's subject to threats. He's has his tires shot out on the freeway. Um, so he takes the decision to come forward and publicly say, here I am, my name's actually Bob, it's not Dennis, this is what I look like. And he does so, he, he, he claims, as an insurance policy, because if he is then bumped off, hmm. that looks really dodgy. Okay. Then, yeah, he makes a stupid mistake and he sets up this this brothel. I mean, <laughs> God only knows why. Um, I, I've I've heard a report that you know he was doing it to try and help these girls, and and the interviews I've seen of him, I personally, I can I can see that, I can believe that he seems like a just a genuinely nice guy, from what I interpret of him. Um, okay, but. Whether there's other motives, I don't know. And indeed, at that time, the usual punishment for that is a slap on the wrist and, you know, the community service. Mm. And he gets a much harsher fine. He has to go for psychological evaluations and all this kind of thing as a result of that. Okay, Wikipedia says he was ordered to do 150 hours of community service to stay away from brothels and to undergo psychotherapy. There you go. Hmm. I mean, that's a much harsher penalty in of itself than, than is normally the case. Uh, is it? I believe uh, there I mean, were also financial there were fines as well or something. I'm not 100% sure on that, but... Couldn't he have gone to prison for pimping? Yes. Yes, and, and this is the point. He stood there in court and they're saying, you are facing jail time if mm. you don't come clean about your qualifications. And, and that's the point I'm, I'm trying to drive in there. Why, why would he not come forward at that point and just say, do you know what? Yeah, okay, here's the truth. The, the truth that uh, I was working at Area 51 on, on reverse. No, 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 the truth, you know, if, if he'd made it up, if he'd made up his qualifications, I mean, because mm. that was the, the, the key thing, nothing about Area 51 or S4 or, mm. or any of that, his qualifications, that was his opportunity to come forward and say, do you know what, yeah, all right, you've caught me, you know. Well, I, I admit that he I did. don't he have stuck to his guns. Yeah, he stuck to his guns and and faced it was is being faced in jail time for that but if he'd have all right they say you know you're you're being you're facing pimping charges you're facing jail time um we'll mm -hmm. do a deal with you we'll um we'll reduce it to felony um pandering which carries a um a penalty a penalty of a certain number of hours of of community service um but he thought, well, maybe if I come across as, as deluded, if I start ranting about these qualifications from institutions that will claim never to have heard of me and talking about UFOs and reverse engineered um, extraterrestrial technology and Area 51, um, rather than jail, I'll, I'll, get a, I'll get to see a psychiatrist. But he'd already talked it's about these things long before this event. Yeah, but, but by pleading, effectively, it's a way of pleading insanity by ranting on about UFOs. No, but he'd already talked about the UFOs long before that event mm. occurred. Yeah, but to, I mean to not go to jail for the pimping 
charges. So he'd have to plan that he was going to get caught for pimping. No, what I mean what, is once he was caught for before? pimping. <laughs> once he was caught for pimping and was facing a prison sentence, um, his best way out of it would be to be referred for psychotherapy. That said, well, there's, I did this because there's something wrong with me and I'll, I'll hammer this home by talking about UFOs and, and in court and conspiracy theories and people say, well, yes, this guy's not. Let's not send him to prison. Let's, um, he's a bit deluded. Give him a bit of psychotherapy and a slap on the wrist and tell him to stay away from brothels. I'm, I'm really struggling to reconcile that with uh, the guy I've seen on the interviews who, who is very clearly a very intelligent guy who hmm. will very clearly know that the, the best way out would just to be hold his hands up, take the slap on the wrist and go about his life. Would it? I mean... Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You look at comparative cases at the time, and that was, hmm. that was the standard. So slap on the wrist, don't do it again, pay a bit of a fine, do a bit of community service, and you're on your way. But he didn't. He made things worse for himself by sticking to this story that, that he'd talked about years before. Hmm. But all that, all that to one side. So, so I, I mean, very clearly, I'm of the belief that that um, his his history was wiped by the government in order to discredit him. But the other thing that it effectively does now, we've been talking about this for a good quarter of an hour, mm. um, and we haven't really talked about his experiences <laughs> taking apart UFOs. No. You know, um, so it's it's a really effective strategy, if that's what it is, um, of distracting from what the man's about, from his story. Don't you think? Or it would be, if what I'm saying is right. <laughs> it it would be, yeah. Um, I mean, if if when governments have secrets and someone goes and starts blabbing about them, I mean, most people don't. Most people know mm -hmm. you shouldn't talk about um, shouldn't talk about secrets. I mean, I've worked in areas where um, we have access to very confidential. Um, like what? Which I'm not going to say. <laughs> but for instance, you're, you're travelling to work on the train and you're with a colleague and mm -hmm. obviously you've got a certain things to do that day. You don't discuss it on the train. Of because not. there are people around, and it's not so much the fear that you will be overheard by um, an enemy agent, or a spy, or a terrorist, or whatever, anyone yeah. who might make use of this information in a hostile way. It's that you'll be overheard by an off-duty police officer or someone else who happens to work at the place you're going to, which is quite likely, who will report you, and you'll be in big trouble, and you'll lose your job. That's the that's the fear. So you know you don't want. People usually have to have um, a strong motivation to um, to betray secrets, like, like Chelsea Manning. I mean, Chelsea Manning was moved by a, a very strong motivation to, to basically reveal a lie, a very big lie that was being told to the American public. But that's that's the point with Bob Lazar. He, he felt very strongly um, yeah. that the public needed to know about this, that they needed to know what was going on. And he felt so strongly that, yes, he, he came forward and did. Mm. Now, he has since gone on record as saying, yeah, if I'd have known how much it would have destroyed my life, no, nah, I probably wouldn't have done. I'd have probably kept mm. my mouth shut. Um, but if, if he's this so, intelligent yeah, he, bloke, he would have known. He would have known you know, the kind of people he was working for and what they would do if these secrets were betrayed. I mean, there must have been a certain amount of vetting um, done for him to be, to be allowed to have this job. If, if you're working, you know, in, in this country, certainly, if you're, you're going to work with classified materials, they will, they will spy on you. They will, they will interview your family and friends. They will find out um, what sort of person you are. I, I was told, I was interviewed by a psychiatrist um, and I was interviewed by the chief vetting officer. And the vetting officers... In, in this country have no interest in the nature of the work that you're going to do. So even if they're told, yeah, we really need this guy, 
um, he has important skills that we need to get used as quickly as possible. Can he get his vetting through? That will cut no ice with the vetting officer. They say, I don't care. And if I, uh, you know, if I say so, he doesn't get clearance. And um, basically we were interviewed by um, the vetting officer who would usually be a retired senior police officer of sort of superintendent rank. And we were told that um, you go for your interview, you might give all the right answers to the questions you know, they're looking for certain things. You might give all the right answers. But if that guy gets a feeling about you that something just doesn't quite add up, something they can't quite put their finger on, you don't get cleared. Okay. That's the way it works in this country. And you know, I'd, I'd, I don't imagine the United States are any less... Um, less Absolutely. And, and indeed, Bob talks about um his experiences when he was interviewed for for that role um hmm. by eg&e um and we'll, we'll come on to them again in in just a minute but hmm. he does talk about that vetting process but uh, i've got to believe that an experience because of course he wasn't told any of this at his interview you know that you're going to be taking apart the propulsion system of alien spacecraft mm. to figure out how it works. Of course, he wouldn't have been told any of that until he gets there. Mm. And that sort of revelation, that sort of experience of everything you believe in, especially as a physicist, it's got to change you. So yes, he would have gone through the vetting, but there is no predicting how your eyes being opened actual actual proof would change hmm. a person it's got to change you it's got to change you because it fundamentally changes everything that you've believed in up to that point but i get what you're saying though and, and as, a, as a scientist though with with degrees in physics a master's degree in physics i mean would he be that that surprise to know that um, there's life beyond this planet. Not that there's life beyond the planet, but that they've visited, that we have nine of their spacecrafts in a hangar just up the road from mm -hmm. here. You know, um, that they're compromised of elements that don't appear on the periodic table. Mm. I mean, element 151 is a particular key part, I was going to say element, yeah. but key part of his story. Um, you know, he, he talked right from the word go about element 151 and he described its properties in detail and it didn't exist. Now, years and decades later, we now know about element 151 and yeah, it mm. matches. It matches his description. He talked at the time in 1989... Hmm. about um, biometric biometrics when he went into the base he had to place his hand on this metal plate that had pins in it that basically measured or his understanding of it was that it measured the length of each of the bones in his hand and it, it was talking about biometrics hmm. and everybody told him he was th th this was absolutely ridiculous that nothing like that existed in any government facility 20 years later it's revealed that at that time they were using these very devices on the stealth projects right. for people to get into secure areas. And there is photographic evidence of these units exactly the way he described them back in 1989. Could he have derived that story from science fiction? I'm sure biometrics had appeared in science fiction. Before the, but how did yeah, how was he things able to describe it in such accurate detail? Because it was a very detailed explanation he gave, and it 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 matches perfectly. Okay. Both in the physical description of these things, I right. mean, they look exactly the way he described and the way he sketched them at the time, and the way in which they operate. Now you would think biometrics back in you know in science fiction in the eighties did read your fingerprints mm. or it would be retina scans. Yeah. That was the thing. But he's talking about something that measures your bones. Well, that's, <laughs> I would say, that's a little far-fetched for science fiction. 
but it turns out that's what actually was happening at the time. Actually, the only biometric thing I can think of is, is it um, Moonraker, the Roger Moore, James Bond film from the late 70s, was it? And, uh, yes. And, and, um, they, and they need to get this guy's eyeball so they can get through a... So they can uh, yeah, it, it wasn't assist. Moonraker. It was, um, oh, the one that was remade into Never Say Never Again. Thunderball. Uh, Thunderball. What's right? Thunderball. Thunderball, yes. Because um, they had to change the guy's retina structure in, in his eye so it matched the president's. So they yeah. could steal the missiles. Yeah. But yeah, um, absolutely. And that was quite far-fetched at the time. But mm. yeah, but he's talking about a totally different thing again. So there's, there, there is that. Um, element 1... Sorry, I was saying it was element 151. It's element 115. Mm. My apologies. Um, he talked, as you rightly said, about S4 being just south of uh, Area 51. Um, S4 is actually on Papoose Lake, whereas Area 51 mm. is Groom Lake. Um, he talked about S4, which nobody knew about at the time. Mm. He talked about EG&E as a company being used as basically a gateway hmm. to get to S4. So that's where any interviews were done. That's where people turned up to work and then they were bussed out and, and flown out to S4. Hmm. Um, and again, at that time, nobody knew anything. It was all top secret stuff. 20 years later, yet yeah, it all existed at the time. It's now a matter of public record that S4 is real. And EG&E was used as a gateway company. I'm just thinking about his um, his uh, unwillingness to, to to stay quiet about this kind of. Thing. I mean, when he was working at uh, Area 51, this would have been in the 1980s, i.e., in the Cold War, which Ronald Reagan was was heating up with the, with his Star Wars initiative, strategic defence And um, yeah, it it was a time of an arms race. So this would be a hell of a bad time for somebody to come out with, with and start talking about new technologies that um, the US government is working on. I agree. So, you know, he could have been had for treason. He could have blabbing about yeah. a, a secret development of a secret propulsion system or weapon system. He, he's, um, yeah... It's a very dangerous I can see why he would want to hide his identity in, in the first time round and call himself Dennis. I mean, could have picked a better name, but, you know. Well, you know. Apologies to any Dennis's out there. If he was an intelligent guy, as in, you know, a guy who's got master's degrees from two, two prominent universities, he would know that whereas calling yourself Dennis and hiding behind a veil might disguise you to TV viewers, it wouldn't disguise you from the security services. Or the people, the kinds of people you work for. I yeah, I'm, I I struggle with that argument because you and I know many many intelligent, very qualified people, and intelligence and common sense do not necessarily go hand in hand, and we know that. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, but he he was working for these people. He would have known what what they were capable of. Maybe he even you know encountered a case of a. A whistleblower being hunted down and destroyed while, while he was working on the job, or maybe not. Maybe maybe everyone else stayed in line. Yeah, maybe he's totally unaware. I mean, he was also relatively young at the time. You know, I mean, we're not talking about a guy who was in his fifties or anything like that. I, I forget how old he was. About well, late twenties. He was in his twenties. Late twenties. Late twenties. Yeah. Okay, so he's young. He's you know. Yeah, I can. Well, in fact, I can believe it. He he was very young to have had those qualifications. Yep. Yeah. So, smart guy. Yeah, very smart guy. <laughs> now, you mentioned George Knapp, who is uh, one of the investigative journalists that first broke the story. Mm. Um, and George Knapp spent over a year investigating, talking to Lazar, interviewing him. Um, following up on all the leads he possibly could. George Knapp, to this very day, remains an absolute believer in what Lazar has to say. Now, 
I've got to believe that 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 George Knapp is far better at, at uncovering truths and and such like than you or I. It's his job, you know. Exactly, and if he remains an absolute believer, and he's done the research, he's done the investigation, he's spoken to 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 Bob many many times. How how do you quantify that? Um, uh, George will believe what he believes, I guess. Um, and as you say, he certainly looked into it harder and longer than I have. Um, I, I'm just going on on what I've been able to pick up in a relatively short space of time, which is mm. basically Lazar's discredited claims regarding his employment, his, his, his qualifications, um, his criminal record... And, and so on. Now, in 1982, um, if this article about his jet-powered car, which yeah. reportedly achieved speeds of 200 miles an hour, and this time it described him as a physicist at the Los Alamos Mison Physics Facility. So, 1982, he would have been 22 or 23. Okay. So... Prior to that age, he's he's got these degrees. He's yes. got these um he's got these two master's degrees from MIT and Cal. Yeah, and he's and he's gone and built this jet-powered car. Well, he was building um basically from high school. Um, he was building as a hobby jet-powered cars mm. in his <laughs> in his back garden, yeah. basically in his garage. Um, so yeah, I absolutely I can believe that and accept it. Okay. Uh, now, it's not all um, hearsay and an opinion because there's two more aspects to this that Bob has gone out of his way to try and prove this where he possibly can, um, even though he, to this day, he he tries to shun the whole UFO thing and put it all behind mm. him um, because of the negative impact that it's had on his life. Um, um, well, for most of his life, you think well, he was a whiz kid in his 20s, suddenly mm. at the age of 30, that's when he he steps through the looking glass, I suppose it is, and um, it says Lazar admits he, that he has no evidence to support his core claim of alien technology. Yeah. So yeah, so half so, his life he's been making this case. More uh, three quarters of his, two thirds of his life he's been making this case with basic, with yeah. no evidence. Yeah, to support it. He's remained utterly consistent throughout, mm. which is usually where um, where people who make these things up fall down. Mm. Um, he's undergone hypnosis to recall some of the specifics about his experiences and as a result um, he's been able to recall uh, details of the propulsion system and how it works in a in a gravity environment and there's there's mm. lots and lots of information out there about that but particularly interesting to me is there were four occasions where he underwent polygraph tests now this is with serious senior senior polygraph analysts mm. who then sent the results out to other polygraph analysts for a second opinion and they came back that under questioning there was no attempt to deceive on his part that's four separate tests analyzed mm. by at least two separate polygraph experts no attempt to deceive now if that doesn't tell me that the guy believes what he's saying because that's what a polygraph is about. It's not about did it happen. It's about do you believe what you're saying. I think he absolutely does. And when you stack that up with, well, he described S4. He described E, G, and E hmm. long before it was known about, long before it was put, decades before it was public knowledge, and then later we find out. Oh yes. S4 did exist. I don't know. For me, that's quite damning evidence. You know, 
his qualifications are kind of a moot point, really. You know, um, it's, he might, it's <laughs> a strange. It's, it's, it's a strange that educational institutions would would deny one of their one of their stars, really, someone who's got master's degrees from their their institution. Okay, and do you know what? Let's say, for argument's sake, that he made that whole thing up. But here's the thing. He's still describing, <clears throat> and, and let's say he made it up and got himself a job on a top-secret programme. Yeah, but, I mean, a university degree is a matter of public record, isn't it? Your, your yeah. graduates get published in the newspapers. You can't just... You can't just get rid of college records. These are public records. Are they published in newspapers in America? Or were, were they back then? I don't know. They certainly were in, in Britain at that time. Okay. Okay, I'm trying to think. I don't think mine were ever in the papers. And that was not dissimilar time. Yeah, certainly in the 80s. A few few years later than Bob Lazar, but mm. well, yeah, he would have been getting well around the time he was playing with his jet propelled car. Well, just before, yeah, and yeah. and that, let let's come back on that one a moment. Hmm. Los Alamos, would they have or or would the subcontractor who took him on have taken on someone without qualifications? No. In a in a job as a physicist. No, but they claim not to so, have taken him on, so it's. Yeah. But let's say the subcontractor that they used, would they mm. have taken him on as a physicist working on a jet car? Which, let's be fair, if you get that wrong, there's a big explosion and people die. Yeah. You're not going to get a numpty to <laughs> to work on a, a a job like that. So why was he employed in the first place if he didn't have these qualifications? Hmm. Well, I, I assume this jet car was something he was doing in his spare time, was he? Or... Well, he was making his own jet cars in his hmm. spare time. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yes, he was, I mean, partly because of that, uh, Los Alamos used him on this particular project to make a jet car. But that was his field of expertise, was propulsion. Yeah. So, why would they erase his record that far back, but no, no further? In order to discredit him. Why not just disappear him altogether? Because the man stood there, he obviously exists. Hmm. People disappear all the time, don't they? Well... Yes, but bear in mind what he's just done. He's just publicly come out and, and all of a sudden he is known to millions of people as the face of ufology, as mm. the man who is blowing the whistle on the whole thing. If he were to suddenly disappear or die mysteriously in an accident, that would be taken as almost, <laughs> almost you know, an admission by the government in what he's saying. If, however, they discredit him, if they say, well, look, the cat has got no qualifications, he's a nobody, you know, he's making all this up, clearly. That's a much more effective method. Well, someone who's been publicly discredited, um, that, you know, no one he claims to have worked for will, will um, back him up. The institutions where he's claimed to have got his his uh, university degrees disavow him completely. Um, mm -hmm. Wouldn't be surprising if someone like that committed suicide, would it? I think there would still be a degree of suspicion. Yeah, there's always that. suspicion. You know, there's suspicion around Dr. David Kelly. There's suspicion around Gary Powers. There's, there's suspicion around um, M M Mo Molam and Robin Cook, you know. All these people who suddenly who who were opposing a, a, a certain course of action by the government and then just suddenly mysteriously died. There you go. But I think discrediting him is is perhaps more effective. 
and yet here oh. we are talking about him and giving giving you know, credence exploring but what again, he's saying but that's the point we're talking about him and the first thing we talk about is these qualifications which is not the big story that's mm. not the key thing to all of this because i don't care if he was employed as a cleaner to go there and he's just bigging himself up and he saw these things and now he's talking about them i'm not bothered the key thing is that it's happening mm. Yeah, we do have this propulsion. It was, it was an anti. Is it an anti-matter propulsion system? Uh, yeah. It's an anti-gravity, or it was a gravity drive that mm. was powered by an antimatter um, e- e- power one supply, one, basically. Um, a stable isotope of E one one five, which allegedly generates a gravity wave that allowed the vehicle to fly and to evade visual detection by bending light around it. Well, that, that's. That's quite something to have in a in a Cold War. A Cold War. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. And and he has gone in uh, following his hypnosis, where he's, hmm. he was able to recall more details. Um, he has gone into great detail to explain how there were three of these gravity emitters, and they were able to um be used in kind of like almost like a low power mode where two of them will be pointed downwards to keep it hovering and another one would be angled such to to mm. propel it along and if it wanted to travel a long distance it would basically turn belly up and then these three would focus in on its destination it might be light years away and it would distort space in order to travel mm. these distances um yeah, I mean, he's gone into incredible detail. Now, to be fair, um, L. Ron Hubbard went into incredible detail yes. uh, when he talks about the details of Scientology, which may or may not be um, the case. So the fact it's details, okay, that's not um, that's not hard evidence. Fair enough. Mm. But to, to me, it's, this is like one big jigsaw puzzle, and all right, there's a huge amount of pieces missing... Mm. But we've got the corners, we've got the edges, we've got, you know, three or four fairly big chunks, and it's painting a hell of a picture. It, it is. It's also, you know, this was 30 years ago that, that he came out and talked about this technology that the government was working on, reverse-engineered extraterrestrial technology. Um, the US government doesn't either hasn't made much progress in, in reverse-engineering it, to the extent they're able to actually use it themselves. Um, or else they have, but you know, probably at the cost of billions of dollars, um, mm-hmm. but they've created something which they, they, they can't use because they have to keep it a secret. Or they've created something that they do use, but they still keep it a secret because they can. But they're still having to cover its use by using basic you know 20th century technologies they're, they're still blasting rockets into space using solid fuel boosters rather than anti-gravity propulsion systems well if you had that technology and you wanted to keep it a secret you wouldn't you wouldn't stop those other programs because you, you, this needs to be pro- progress needs to be seen to happen um, it does, but we're talking. Um, I know, I know you're talking decades with, with this kind of process. But you think, you know, in, in virtually the same amount of time, um, propeller-powered planes were, were replaced first by turboprops, then or jet engines and turboprops. Um, that's quite. Um, you know, it, obviously the jet engine was a was a secret once. The rocket engine was a, a secret once. Yeah. Um, these technologies are now are now in use, and um, we're, we're still, you know, we're, we're still using. We're, we're, we're putting rockets into space with Werner von Braun's um, rocket technology, pretty much. Yes, we are, and and that should tell us something that you know the internal combustion engine in a car has not changed in principle no. since since Henry Ford. It's yeah, it's so been it's the same principle. And that, that that's gotta tell you, there's something wrong with that. Mm. There there is something fundamentally wrong with that, which 
okay there's nothing conclusive there's nothing evidential about this but to me that suggests that development of the existing technology has been diverted away to something else we just don't know what it is but yeah something's just i don't know if it's a lack of interest or a lack of imagination but something like when, you, when you're out and it starts raining and you put your umbrella up and it blows inside out and you get wet again mm. um and yeah. this in this in you know the 21st century and then you see paintings of the 19th century or the 18th century where people are still having exactly the, that same problem <laughs> with pretty much exactly the same kind of contraption. Um, why hasn't this moved on? Why haven't we found a better way to stop getting soaking wet? But then you look at computers and the invention of the microchip. You know, <laughs> we went from valves to this incredibly powerful system virtually overnight. Hmm. Um, and yeah, although there are, of course, allegations that um, that microchip technology has come from extraterrestrial usage. Hmm. And maybe we'll talk about that in the future. But for today, um, Bob Lazar, then let's summarise. Um, I remain absolutely convinced that he's telling the truth, at very least, that he believes what he is saying and that there is truth behind it. Um, what what's your takeaway from this? Um, I, I think there are holes in his story. I think there there are, there are things that that don't add up. I'm prepared to accept that it's a a truthful account, but there's just some bits that I would like to know more about. Okay, and, uh, including sounds... including why we haven't seen any of this technology that they've supposedly been working on for so many years. That sounds very reasonable and open-minded. Um, but what do you think, listeners? Um, tweet us with your thoughts, your ideas, leave messages for us, um, all of that good stuff. And if there's anything that you would like us, any particular subjects that you would like us to discuss in future episodes, then uh, do message us and let us know. Um, don't forget to join us next time where we will be discussing the alien encounter during the Apollo 11 moon landing. Ooh, exciting stuff. <laughs> uh, so that's it from me, Stu. And that's it from me, Neil. See you next time. Aliens Explored is a Fecal Films production in association with Juicy Falls. Music by Darren Mafucci and editing by Stu Jackson. Find us on Twitter or Facebook by searching Aliens Explored or visit us on aliensexplored.com.